Patrick Johnson is joining us from the uh, Vancouver Province Sports, Vancouver Sun. Uh, Patrick, how are you doing today? Great, boys. How are we doing? Doing doing pretty good here. Um, the Vancouver Canucks start the season 1-3-0, and uh, won their first game against the <laughs> Oilers, uh, followed that up with three losses. Uh, what's going on out there early in Vancouver? It doesn't look like there's a whole lot uh, happening. Great. It's a great question. I think there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean... Leading off, of course, was that JT Miller wasn't able to play, who was, you know, one of their best wingers, best forwards last year. Um, he was he was caught up in some COVID protocols. He never had COVID, but without getting too far into it, Jordy Ben, he had apparently been in contact with Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben, at least, is a presumed positive. So following all the rules, he had to sit out for the first three games, uh, but he's been cleared to come back and play. So he was back last night, which was great, but the team didn't play so great, which tells us really a couple other things. You know, they, they basically have turned over. They got three new defensemen in the lineup. Nate, who, you know, I think will be a huge impact on this team, but hasn't really been able to really show himself yet because of the kind of, he scored a goal, but hasn't really been able to show himself yet. Uh, Travis Hamanick, who, you know, they're hoping will find the old form, not the form he had last year with Calgary and a rookie named Oli Levy, who they have high hopes for, but haven't been playing a ton. You know, new goaltender. There's just a lot kind of going on that is tough to put together in a in a you know short season like this. No preseason games really run through your systems, get everybody up to speed. I think there's just a lot of bits and pieces. I don't think they're as bad as they've been. Um, you know, they may struggle to put it together like they did in the summer, uh, but it's you know I think it's we'll see how it goes. They got a big test coming up this week. They got Montreal in for three games this week. Um, so, you know, Montreal's looking pretty good. So that's going to be a pretty big test for them. You know, over the summer, they lost Jacob Markstrom to the Calgary Flames, who was arguably their team MVP the last two seasons. And they bring in Braden Holtby to presumably go in a kind of a platoon direction with Thatcher Demko. To this point, each of them have gotten two starts each. Who do you think eventually comes out as the starting goaltender as the season plays out? And who has been better to this point, in your opinion? (sighs) I mean, it's funny. One of these funny things we've all kind of talking this morning about, you know, where things are at, why things are looking so sour. And one of the statements that people in this are making is, well, you know, the goalies haven't been the problem. And I'm like, no. But we saw it last night. 
you know, the difference that Jacob Markstrom can make in the, to, to a game. And we saw it all last year. This guy stole so many games for the Canucks. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons that it was probably right for them in the long run to move on from, but they've made a big gamble. You know, Thatcher Demko was incredible in three games at uh, the end of the playoffs last summer. They're hopeful that's who you'll be in the long run. Braden Holtby obviously has been a star in his own right. I don't know if either of the ones clearly is the number one right now. I think it's whoever kind of starts putting some strong starts together. They haven't been bad, but they haven't been, you know, standing on their heads good. And this is what this team really needs. I, I think it's going to be whichever of those guys really starts getting into a groove. Whoever gets into that groove first, I think, is going to get the first look. And he'll, they'll probably, knowing how this coaching staff has gone, Travis Green has been a guy that likes to ride one guy. Um, you know, if he's got a hot hand, he's going to go with a hot hand. So it, it is a pretty wide open story here right now, I think. Do they have high hopes for Mikey D. Pietro to eventually step into their starting tandem? Yeah, I think that's the long-term plan. Uh, certainly the talent is there. He's, he's not your conventional modern goalie who's a, you know, a tall guy, long arms, long limbs. He's a bit shorter in stature, but they really like his athleticism. Um, yeah, so he's the number three guy right now. We'll see how long that lasts. Once the kind of Canadian AHL season gets going, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some games say, with, with Manitoba. The Winnipeg Jets, obviously, uh, you know, have been on that uh, COVID goalie waiver carousel uh, trying to find a number three guy. They don't really have really any other guys to play. They have, one, I think, one other guy to play in the AHL, but they don't really have anybody else. That looks pretty clearly like a spot that's been reserved a little bit for Di Pietro once things get going to get him some games at least so that they could bring him back and forth. Um, but yeah, he's the guy of the future. Not yet. Obviously Holtby signed for two years. Holtby may, I suppose, end up uh, being picked in the expansion draft by Seattle. And so maybe Di Pietro's time will be next year already. Uh, but yeah, that's the long-term plan. I want to ask about a guy in Jake Vertanen, you know, coming out of the draft, they had high hopes for him. He skated on a line with Connor yeah. McDavid and Curtis Lazar at the 2015 World Junior Hockey Championship for Team Canada. But to this point, his career has been rather underwhelming. They let Tyler Toffoli walk, seemingly paving the way for Jake Vertanen to assume that role. How has he been to this point in the season and in his career? It's, uh, to be honest, hasn't lived up to the potential that, uh, you know, I think, I think that Jim Benning saw in him uh, when they picked him, you know, and for the high draft pick that he was, you know, you need more than they've seen. Vertanen had a nice season last year, scored 18 goals, uh, you know, found a role on the second power play unit. The, the kid can shoot. Like, there's no doubt he's got a good shot. Um, but, you know, he's a big player. They drafted him to be sort of this, you know, the kind of quintessential big physical dominant power forward. And he's just not that guy. He, uh, you know, when he in junior, he was a, a, a kid that he was just bigger than his peers. You know, he'd, he'd blow past the younger defensemen. He scored a lot of goals on breakaways and, 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 you know, putting himself into one-on-one positions with the goalie. And, of course, you get to the NHL, and that's a lot harder to do because everyone's really good. And, uh, you know, so he, I think, mostly has, I, I would say for most of his time as, a, as a, an NHLer, has struggled to be that player. Um He's not a guy that instinctually seeks out big hits or big contact. Um, and so he's kind of a player that, you know, he's, he's, he's fine, but he's not a, he's not a meter mover. Um, he's not a guy that ever takes over a game on his own in, in a way that I think you would have hoped, you know, a kid drafted as high as he 
had. We just haven't seen any glimpses like that. And like I said, you know, in the end, he's been fine. But I think the other thing that's, of course, framed all this coming into this season was that he was a restricted free agent coming out of last year. And he was one of several decisions they had to make. And in the end, they chose to go with him and not re-sign a guy like Tyler Toffoli. Toffoli would have been, I think, really useful on this team right now. A guy they traded for at the end of last season, sent away you know, a, a top prospect in Tyler Madden, a draft pick. Like There was just a lot of value that they committed to Toffoli, and then they weren't able to re-sign him for a variety of reasons, mostly because they just didn't make it a priority. And so now he's with Montreal. We're going to see him again this week. Uh, it, it is a it's a strange time in Vancouver. Jake Bertanen probably is the best example of it. He's just sort of not quite who you thought he was going to be. And and at the end of the day, I, you know I think you know that they're hopeful that he'll find it. But it's been seven years since he was drafted. He's turning twenty five this year. This is the player he's going to be. And right now, it kind of looks like a guy that uh, you know is okay on your third line, but uh, isn't isn't taking over games. So it, it, in the big picture, I'd say that's a disappointment. Talk about one of the stars for the Vancouver Canucks, Quinn Hughes. And, yeah. you know, for, for us East Coasters, you know, he's a guy we see every once in a while. You know, you see a whole bunch of highlights, you know, on social media a couple times a week. But just how good is this kid? He's amazing. I mean, there's a – when you get a chance to watch him, pay attention to the number of times that he's out by the blue line and basically pulls like a button hook to create space for himself that you didn't think was there. He's such a dynamic skater. The, the key to his success in the end is having the puck on his stick and not letting the other team have the puck. I mean, it, it's that modern, again, that modern kind of way of playing. Um, and he is just a remarkable player. And he's, you know, 21, just incredible talent. He's still going to get better. He's still figuring it out. He's had a few moments, I'd say, so far this season where, you know, you kind of, you know, go, oh, that didn't work out so well. But mostly he's great. And he runs the power play. He's got these incredible... Incredible instincts. He's so calm. It was funny the other night. He was after asked after one of the games. The power play really hasn't been firing to start the season. And you know, Travis Green, the head coach himself, highlighted that uh, I think it was on Saturday night that you know if their power play had been working and they killed the Flames' power play, they probably win that game. And then we wouldn't be talking about the problems. And Hughes himself kind of brought it up, said, you know, in last year, you know, we had some ups and downs. And I remember there was a you know, one moment where we hadn't scored in a couple of times and then we all of a sudden were taking over games again and nobody was worried about it. And it's funny, it was reminding me of a conversation he I, he and I had about that last year. He said, you know, you just you gotta have some faith in how you had success before. Sometimes it doesn't work, but it's gonna come again. And that's the biggest thing I think we've learned about him is that he is just so focused on sort of his abilities, what he's been able to do, the success he's had to date and how to build off that success. And he's really you know, he's a guy who really understands his own game. He's very, very analytical, thinks about everything. And then, you know, as these guys can do, because they're elite athletes, he just goes out and does it. It's really an amazing thing to see. He is going to be one of the best defensemen in the game for a long time. I think that's really clear. And it's all about his feet, and it's all about his brain, and all about his hands, and the list goes on. Sticking on the defense, Oli Ulevi was drafted, I believe, fifth overall in 2016. Yeah. And a lot of his draft, well, post-draft hype kind of dampered a bit, especially being taken right before Matthew Kachuk. Has he finally found his niche on the third pair with Tyler Myers? We'll see. I mean, he's he's had some moments where they, they're being careful with him. He, uh, you know, I mean, the examples were extreme, of course. They, he, he had trouble defending Leon Dreisaitl, like a lot of people have trouble 
depending on Dreisaitl. But, you know, the, there was, I think, I don't even know what the word is, concern. Point, the point was made from people who watched him in the AHL, and there's obviously a rabid fan base here, and, you know, people who I rely on to tell me about this stuff, and I trust them. And they said, listen, Ulevi does a lot of things really well. He's steady on the puck. Uh, he makes good decisions on breakouts, but he has issues defending on the rush. He just has not, you know, I, whether that was always there, or that's because he's struggled with some hip and, and knee problems in the last couple seasons. He just is not great dealing with guys coming at him really hard and, and on the outside. And, you know, that, that more than anything is the one small thing that stood out. Hasn't been seen a ton. And like I said, the main examples have been some of the game's best players. But the truth is, if you're going to survive you have to be able to manage those situations. You're not going to stop them necessarily, but you have to manage them better. And, you know, he'll he'll figure it out. Like I said, a lot of this is about the fact they haven't had a preseason. They're trying to get adjusted on the fly. It's going to see some mistakes. I, I think him and Myers is a decent pair. I think I think going forward, it, you know, if the other two pairings find their groove, if Hamannick finds the groove that the Canucks hope he'll find with Quinn Hughes, and if, you know, Edler and, and Nate Schmidt Alex Edler continues to be the you know the elder statements of, of this blue line, not as quick as he used to be, but knows how to defend, knows how to make smart decisions. Him and Nate Schmidt is more of the shutdown pair. You know, once those guys find their groove, you think they're going to be a big difference maker, and that will open up ice time for the likes of Ulevi and for Myers, who are two guys who are, you know, probably better suited to having the puck again, which is what the Canucks want to be. They want to be a team that has the puck and just not have to worry about playing defense. Uh, and so that's where we'll see the go. Ulevi's been okay. You know, you'd like to see, I think I'd like to see, of course, again, as you noted, top traffic. You'd like to see, you know, a guy take big leaps and bounds forward. Um, but at this point, you know, I think they're they're just happy that he's in the NHL, which, you know, it's been a long time. Basically, every other defenseman in that draft has put up a whole bunch of games in the NHL, and he's only just starting his career, which at this point, everyone's happy to see. Talked about a little about the the Canucks slower start. Now in the new new look North Division, easy for me to say. You know, <laughs> you got to kind of keep pace to to survive in this division. Where yeah. do you think the Canucks, you know, end up falling when they're all said and done? Well, I think we've seen it already. There's already been some separation. I mean, obviously, it's a long season and there's a lot of games to be played. Um, even if it is a short season, you know what I mean. Um, but the fact that Toronto, Montreal, Calgary have kind of separated themselves, are sitting one, two, three right now, and that's how I picked them to finish the season. Um, I think the Canucks, out of the other three teams, because let's be let's be fair, Ottawa, they've got some interesting young pieces, but I don't think they have it yet to really kind of push themselves above. They're going to finish seventh in the division. So the Canucks, the Oilers, and the Jets, I think, are in a bit of a three-way battle to finish fourth to make the playoffs. I do think on the whole, the Canucks probably, I mean, I picked them to finish fourth. I think the Oilers, it's kind of crazy. I was thinking about this earlier. Like the Oilers have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, two of the best players in the world. And we're still not sure what they are. And that comes <laughs> down to the fact that their goaltending is not very good. Their defense is a really mishmash, you know, not unlike the Canucks. Um, but it's just, there's more top end. I think there's just a better top end, uh, sort of look to the Canucks. I think Quinn Hughes, you know, the Oilers don't have a defenseman like Quinn Hughes. I'm not even sure the Oilers have a defenseman like Nate Schmidt. Um, and and as a result, I think the Canucks, that's just enough. There's enough that's going to put them over the top in the in the long run. But it's going to be difficult. It's definitely going to be a battle. Um, I don't think the Canucks are going to be pushing up into that top three. 
and we'll certainly see this week, like I said, three games against the Habs, and that's a that's a great way to test yourself. I mean, the, the, it seems inconceivable that they'll go zero and three, you know, with their home opener, how everything's gone, the fact that you know, on like I said, Saturday night, five and five, they played pretty well. Like they they weren't thrilling, but they did what they needed to do defensively. They probably need to do more offensively, and that's a statement as well. Elias Pettersson's had a bit of a struggle to start the season, um, but he's been so good the last two years. It, it's inconceivable that, you know, he's not going to find his game. JT Miller, like I said, only just played his first game last night. You know, once those two guys, I mean, those two guys stirred the drink all season last year for the Canucks. And once those two really kind of get their, get the, you know, get themselves moving, get, get an understanding where they're at again. Um, Brock Besser, I think Brock Besser has been generally pretty good. I mean, you know, he had two goals opening night, hasn't scored since, um, probably could have made a better pass to Elias Pettersson on a two-on-one last night. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mix, a bit of a derby. We'll see how it plays out. You know, Jim Benning has been one of the more aggressive GMs in free agency over the past few years. You know, he's brought in guys like Louis Erickson and Antoine Roussel, Michael Furlan, Jay Beagle, Tyler Myers, most recently in the summer of 2019. But, you know, in the not so distant future, guys like Adam Gaudet, Elias Pettersson, Quinn yeah. Hughes, Thatcher Demko are all due new, new, new contracts. My God, easy enough for me to say. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you foresee there being a bit of a financial issue for Benning to re-sign all those, for, all those players? Well, I mean, the priority is going to be uh, Hughes and Pettersson uh, at the end of the season because they need new deals. Um, you know, I think the expectation, given how everything else is gone, is that this is going to be you know two guys that are going to end up signing uh, bridge deals? We'll see how it plays out, but you know the two of them right now are the face of the team, and um, there it, it's going to be a challenge. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, Alex Edler's coming off his deal, um, Brandon Sutter's coming off his deal. You know that money. They're going to do everything they can to use that money uh, to put towards their two stars, but it's going to be really challenging because. You know, they still have money committed to Jay Beagle. They still have money committed to Antoine Roussel. They still have money um, committed to uh, Tyler Myers. Like, these are guys that are that are making a big chunk of change, and they're probably making more than they should given their role in the team. And uh, it, it, it's going to be a big challenge. I mean, it, it, they do have money. Like, Sven Berchie's coming off the books. Ryan Spooner's bio's coming off the books. But they still have a cap penalty for Roberto Luongo. It, it's going to be it's going to be a, um, a difficult sort of needle to thread here. I think they're going to have to like all of a sudden find themselves putting some guys in the lineup next year that you know we haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, Neil Solglander, obviously, his, his you know sort of emergence making the team this year. They're hopeful that's something that carries forward. They've got him on a pretty cheap deal. Um, Zach McEwen's another guy that they're hoping to see, you know, develop into a really solid, dependable, you know, third, fourth line forward. They've been playing him a lot this year. See how that plays out. Um, but you know, they, they look at a guy like Tanner Pearson, you know, he needs a new contract. He's been a really solid second line pickup for them since they traded for him, uh, two seasons ago. Is there a way to keep him around? They're going to want to try, um, but it's going to be difficult. You know, you look at sort of the things that he's on par with and he's making just under $4 million this year. He's probably worth a small raise. We'll see. How, I mean, it depends on what he scores, but it's, it's all a big juggle and it's going to be hard just putting the lineup together that it, as it exists 
let alone trying to sort of add something to it. I mean, they don't have a ton of space right now. Right now, they're projected just to have about $23 million in gap space. You know, if all of a sudden you're starting to talk about you know, Pedersen and Hughes getting bridge deals that, you know, have a one at the beginning, then that's starting to be difficult. We're not sure if necessarily that's going to play it out because, of course, the environment's changed. Uh, the other thing with Hughes is that he's a, he's one of these 10-2-C players, right? So he doesn't have any ability to get an offer sheet. He can't go to arbitration. So he's kind of stuck uh, where he's at. Um, Brock Besser was in the same deal last year, but Brock Besser still got himself a $5.875 million deal. Um, so, you know, if he's sort of the floor for where they're at, I, you know, I think they're going to be well above that to sign both of them. Um, it's going to be tricky. It's definitely, definitely going to be an interesting, interesting off season. And, uh, you know, that, that's been part of their thinking. I mean, that was in reality, part of the reason why they did walk away from Tyler to was that they just sort of had to sit back and say, you know, we have to be careful how we manage this money, um, going into next season. And, uh, you know, they, they have to be very conscious about how they prioritize and, and whatnot. But, you know, some of that reality is self-inflicted because, like I said, some of the contracts they've had sitting there on the books, you know, Louis Erickson still has another one year on a $6 million cap hit. Like, there's just some there's some money on this cap that's not um, not all that useful right now, and, and it's going to be a challenge uh, to navigate. You think they're going to go hard uh, for Seattle to try and take maybe Myers or Erickson? No, I don't think it's one of those ones. I mean, I don't think Erickson's going to be any interest to Seattle um, just because of that cap hit. I mean, Erickson does things well. Like, if he wasn't making so much money, he's the kind of guy that probably would have appeal. He's not the greatest skater anymore, but he kills penalties. He's still got, you know, sort of good creative vision. Um, doesn't score like he used to. But, he's a, you know, that's a handy guy to have on your, on your fourth line. But his cap hit is so big. Um, it's really hard to imagine where he's going. And they, they like Myers. They're really committed to Myers. I don't think there's any any chance that he goes anywhere else. Um, they signed him for a reason before last season. On the whole, we're pretty happy how he played. He's, you know, he's, guy, he's a guy that's not this defensive dynamo. He's not you know, sort of some sort of ver- lighter version of Zidane Chara. He's a guy that can handle the puck. He can help your power play. You know, they really struggled uh, you know, two, three seasons ago with moving the puck out. That was the big big challenge they had and with guys like Pedersen you know and Horvat guys who can skate and need the puck in their hands if you can't get the puck in their hands what's the point and they really struggled doing that two seasons ago and that was clear and that was part of the reason why they added Myers was that Myers can you know he is a guy who can break the puck out um, and and so that's why they brought him in I think on, on the end I mean it, it could have it's one of those it was one of those contracts where people were like Ooh, it could have been worse still not sure I'd do it but um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see. It, it's already kind of right now, like I said, they've had a struggling start to the season. You know, we'll see how it plays out. It's a lot of money to play a guy on the third pairing. Um, but they would argue, said, well, you know, it's it's how you assemble the roster. And you're like, I guess so. But uh, it, it's it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a difficult offseason, and we're going to see what happens. I think they're more hopeful that Braden Holtby gets scooped up, um, not because they don't like him, but I think just in terms of, like I said, how they've sort of structured things. Um you know they're going to need they're going to need to make some decisions, and uh, you know Thatcher Demko does need a new contract next year if he plays well. You know they'll be hoping hoping that Holtby um, that Holtby ends up with the Kraken. I think there's a decent chance he'll be there. He's not a bad cap hit at four point three, and you know for a one year one year uh, kind of situation in in Seattle wouldn't I don't think it would be too bad. It kind of depends who else is going to be out there available. 
What made Benning go kind of big game, big game hunting for these bottom six players like Beagle and Roussel and Michael Furlan, paying them all like three, three and a half million dollars? And now obviously Michael Furlan, maybe you could speak more to this, but it seems like he's never going to play again. Like, yeah. do you think those are the types of guys that are really hampering the, the Canucks financially? There's a few things in it. I think partly it's there was a real struggle to commit to the idea of a proper rebuild um, going back all the way to, I mean, even before they got rid of Mike Gillis in 2014. I mean, the, the, the previous leadership or GM, Mike Gillis and his assistant, Lawrence Gilman, who's now with the Leafs, um, you know, had essentially argued to ownership, I think going back in 2013, that it was time to, they, that was the, that was the, final upset in the playoffs to the Sharks. And they had basically gone to ownership and said, no, we need to start moving on. We need to start building the next team. Like this, this, this is done. And basically couldn't get authorization from ownership to do that. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of the Gillis era. And part of the reasons why Trevor Linden was brought in as the president initially, and then Jim Benning as the general manager was that they basically told the ownership and said, no, this doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be a blow it up and, you know, experience some pain for a couple of seasons type situation. We can, we can make this happen on the fly. And so they kept kind of chasing these contracts that they were like, well, this will patch over things. And Benning came in with his reputation as a solid drafter, which was more reflective, I think of his time in Buffalo than his more recent time in Boston. Um, and they're sort of like, well, we'll, we'll sign these guys and they'll kind of keep things going and we'll make the playoffs a little bit. And then once these kids arrive, we'll get rid of the, those guys and the kids will come in and, and we'll be this like brave new world. And part of the problem, of course, is like I said, I mean, there's talked about Vertanen already. That was the, that was the first, that was the first, that was the first draft. Blue Levy, that was the third draft pick. Um, you know, it just, it didn't, it just didn't quite hit. Now, Brock Besser is in Sanders in the middle there and has proven to be an excellent draft pick. Um, and Elias Pettersson obviously has changed the story finally. You know, they've got some top end. Um, but part of the problem was is that they've struggled finding guys in the middle, you know, internally, guys in the middle uh, of the lineup, uh, partly because of, I'd say, philosophy, partly just because sometimes prospects don't work out. They've got some kids coming through now that could make a difference. Um, but, you know, I'd say the biggest challenge for them has been, like, it's just been sort of focusing on what they want to do. And so as a result, there was kind of this notion of, well, Jay Beagle's a Stanley Cup champion, so he'll teach them how to win. And it's kind of like, well, come on, guys. Like, Elias Patterson has been a champion at every level he's played at. Like, the kid is a winner. What are you talking about? Um, and in the end, over, you know, this was a player, I think, that that certainly the coaching staff was interested in. And, you know, I think if they signed Jay Beagle for, like, two seasons, that would have been fine. But they ended up signing him for four, and now you know basically he can't skate. He can win faceoffs, but you know the problem is is that then he has to play hockey, and um, you know that's just not that great for him anymore. And it, it's just been a little bit too much focusing on well, what does this guy do for us right now, and less thinking about well, what is this guy going to be able to do for us two, three years from now? Listen, I'm a big fan of Antoine Roussel, and I I have not been as critical of that signing as maybe other people have been. Because I think he's got a lot of underrated um, offensive talents, playmaking talents, so on and so forth. Um, but in the end, yeah, I mean, he is a guy that right now he's sitting on the third line. 
when they first signed him, I thought there was a chance they were going to try him on the second line with Bo Horvat. I still think that there's actually potentially a hole there um, to fill, although Niels Hoglander's there right now. Um, you know, it, it, it's just been a mishmash and a bit of a sort of an all-over-the-place kind of strategy. They finally dialed it back a little bit. Uh, this season didn't, partly just because of finances, didn't go chasing too much. I mean, they traded for Schmidt. There was some talk about Oliver ekman Larson when he said he'd like to come to Vancouver, but they couldn't make that work. Um, you know, it's just been a bit of everything. And, and in the end, it, you know, I mean, I, they're hoping to avoid becoming the Minnesota Wild because, of course, the Minnesota Wild have been in that sort of mediocre middle for so long trying to do everything but then end up doing nothing. And they're, they're really at risk of that right now. Well, Patrick, I want to thank you uh, very much for taking time here today and coming to talk to us, and uh, stay safe out there. Hey, boys, thanks a lot. Take it easy, Pat. All right. Let's talk some flyers. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, um, I I blew my stack yesterday on the Anger Negative Postgame show uh, about this, so I don't, I don't have nearly the passion, but you have not had a chance to talk about last night's debacle. Uh, so uh, I'll let you uh, take the floor first. Well, well, look, uh, I didn't watch the game. I was working, so I listened to it on the radio. Well, I watched the first period on my phone, and then I listened to the rest on the radio with uh, Saunders and Coetzee. And look, it just seemed like a typical mail-it-in performance by the Flyers. I thought maybe the first half of the first period wasn't too, too bad. But I think that when the Flyers got the puck in to the Buffalo zone, not a whole lot was happening. And when the Flyers got pinned in their own zone it was a complete disaster uh i just it seemed to me more like an effort thing it seemed it was just more of the same it it was as if i was watching the 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 playoffs again against the montreal canadians or the new york islanders and it's just the same script different i was gonna say different team but it's the same exact team it's just a different year and i think that's the most concerning thing about it is that a, the first two games that they won weren't exactly convincing victories. And a win is a win, so I can't take that away from them. But when you saw a game that the offense wasn't there and they weren't clicking on all cylinders on the power play, or firing on all cylinders, rather, and Carter Hart wasn't standing completely on his head, they got destroyed. And I just think that it's a tale of the tape with this team that's too consistent, that when the going gets tough, they mail it in. If everything isn't going completely their way, they mail it in. And, you know, like, last night is a game where you're kind of looking for a Claude Giroux or Jake Voracek or James Van Riemsdyk to, you know, take the team by the horns and really, you know, change the game, turn it around. But they have no one that can do that offensively. They have no one that could do that physically. They have no one that could do that emotionally. It's just a very, very bland team. And look, like I saw someone tweet yesterday, like, how long is the coaching staff's leash? Like, really? Like, that's what we're going to talk about now? Like, this core group of players up front, you know, Giroux, Couturier, I guess we can't really include Couturier into the mix, but he is still part of the core of this team. But Giroux, Katori, Voracek, Rafa, Lawton, like these guys have lasted the course of four coaches and three GMs. Like, I don't want to hear about general managers and coaching staffs and this. And like, I know everyone likes to pick on Michel Terrier that like he's the problem. And I'm not saying he's great, but like at a certain point, you have to call a spade a spade. And this is, and whatever happens this season, 
will lie at the feet of the players. Now, look, it's one game. They're two and one. They still have 53 games left. Maybe they show up tonight. They blow them out of the water, 10, nothing. And, you know, we're back on happy trails here with the Flyers. But it's more because it isn't just one game. It's just the same thing that we've been saying all season long, that it's the same team. It's the same exact team that got destroyed in the playoffs. And I don't care that they went to the seventh game of the second round. If anyone knew what they were watching, they were dead in the water by game five against the New York Islanders and literally got dragged there by Carter Hart and Simeon Varlamov not being able to stop a beach ball. And when you go back to with the same team and the same group, aside from going in with a worse defense and arguably a, a marginally stronger offensive group, this is what you're going to get. Like, I don't know what people or the organization was expecting to change. There's just nothing different about this team. And we talked about it again during the offseason that, yeah, this team is deep, but they're not built to survive a big injury. And arguably the biggest injury and the most important player on this team, aside from Hart and Ivan Provov, in my opinion, got hurt with Sean Couturier. And I know people like to think that, oh, yeah, well, we're the deepest team in the NHL and this and that. Well, you saw last night that Morgan Frost can't even hold John, Sean Couturier's jock strap. And that's nothing against the kid. But what are you expecting him to do after not playing a game in 10 months to step in for the best defensive center in the NHL and the anchor of this team offensively or up front, rather? I, I just... This team, to me, I just can't get excited for it anymore. I've seen it too many times. And again, like I have no doubt that they're going to get to the playoffs, probably finish inside the top three of their division. But it's just performances like this that just gives me flashbacks that withholds me from getting excited. Like even when they were winning the games against the Pittsburgh Penguins, like I can't even buy in because it's just like until you do this, and get substantial victories in the playoffs, I can't get hooked on this team. Because we saw what happened last year, that they finished second in the conference and then just like walked through the round robin and beat everyone and finished as the first seed. And then they scraped by Montreal by the skin of their teeth and got their asses handed to them by the New York Islanders. And you go back to the well with the same roster, and I just I can't buy in until I see something different. And to this point in the season, I've seen nothing different than years past. That was my biggest complaint as well. You know, all summer long, we heard people say, "Well, they made it to the second round last year, and they kept the everybody's here. Everybody, the more or less the exact same team. Well, everybody's back, and it's great. It means they have more chemistry. It means they're going to build together and be stronger, and this and that." And all summer long, I said the flip side is that, well, we already saw what this group can do, and they clearly can't make it. And, yeah, they beat the Penguins, but those games were not pretty. If Tristan Jari didn't suck so bad, I have a feeling it would not have been the same outcome. You know, it was the same thing last year. This is just a, a hot mess of a team. And and I've seen this before from all these guys. You know, Giroux, Voracek, JVR, Couturier. You know, all these people have been here for years and years and years and years now. Some of them coming up on a decade. You know, the, the Richards-Carter trades happened in June. You know, in June of 2011. That'll be 10 years that Couturier and Voracek have been here. Like, I, I just, I, I'm so, I, I don't know what anybody expects anymore. You know, every, they all wanted Patrick and, and Lindblom to come back and take big steps. And 
you know, uh, that was kind of insane to think of out of the gate. You know, I wrote the piece early last week, I believe, you know, about limiting your expectations for these two. And, you know, yeah, they had good games out of the bat, especially Nolan Patrick. He looked phenomenal during the Penguins games. But at the end of the day, they can't be counted on too much. You lost Sean Couturier, who, listen, I'm not by any means his biggest fan, but it's clear when your team defense sucks as bad as it does that Couturier was holding this group together quite a bit. Uh, you know, and it's just it's a bunch of inconsistent players playing inconsistently. <laughs> you know, that's what we've seen so far. And, and like you said, it's so hard to get excited for this. Like the, the the glaring holes that they had going in were more or less addressed with Nolan Patrick, and they got Sam Rand hanging around for that extra grit, even though they fucking ain't gonna use him for whatever reason. But you know, you, you filled those holes. But the realistic is, is you still don't have anybody that can score. Your defense is a goddamn disaster, and Carter Hart is gonna have to fight and claw, you know, to get this team every single victory that they earn. And you know, he he's looked fine during the first three games. The, the Penguins, again. usually what I expect out of Carter Hart is just perfect positioning. You never have to worry about the kid. He's always there. I didn't really see that during the Penguins games, mainly because the Flyers allowed a dozen odd man rushes per game, so he didn't have the opportunity really to get uh, to get set up there and really uh, shut shit down. But, you know, it's like none of the gills against the Sabres are really his fault. It's just complete breakdowns in front of him. And, and this Eric Gustafson fellow is just shit. I mean, he's perfectly fine quarterbacking a power play, but he can't play defense. Like, we already have that in Shane Goss's bear. You know, the exact same player. The only difference is Gus can actually get the puck on net every once in a while. And Justin Braun on the top line, like, I don't particularly hate Justin Braun, but he's in so far over his head at this point in his career, having to play top line minutes along Evan Provorov. It just isn't what he should be doing right now. Uh, and partner that with the fact that Myers and Sanheim continue to be, you know soft, nothing happening defenseman. I mean, Sanheim is getting turned inside out left and right and turning the puck over and breakdowns and get knocked off. Like, come on. These guys are 6'3". You know, like, assert your dominance physically. That's been Meyer's biggest bugaboo ever since he got called up, and Sanheim just doesn't know how to, you know, throw a check to save his life. It's just, it's every little thing we've talked about, not just this offseason, but for years you know, the inconsistent offense, the shitty defense, the lack of physicality. Like, everything is just coming together at once here. And then you get a game like you did last night. And it just it just sucks. And the other thing is, is that, like, there's so much redundancy in this lineup. Yes. Like, there's no variety of players. They're and the exact same. Their top line is just minimally different than their third line and their fourth line is minimally different from their second line like anybody can play on any given line at any night because they're all the exact same player god that drives me so fucking crazy with this team and like i know like i'm gonna talk a bit about oscar Lindblom here and he falls into the you know the do no wrong category and I know every, you know, the the heartwarming story of him coming back from cancer. And he's a great player. I, 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 you know, no, I can't single him out and say, like, he's a bad player. He does things wrong. But, like, he shouldn't be your top line left winger. I, I'm sorry. Um, he doesn't play on the power play. I think that's very telling. And, you know, if he was, let's say, in JVR spot with Nolan Patrick on the third line, and you had a legitimate top-line left winger, let's say a Patrick Line, in the top-line spot, then great. But, like, 
even a guy like Limblom that everyone's saying like, oh yeah, you know, like he's this, he's that, he's great. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be more than a solid two-way middle six winger. And that's fine. That's great for what? He was a fifth round pick in 2014. <laughs> you know, they knocked that selection out of the park, but you got to start calling a spade a spade here. And the Flyers don't have three lines that can dominate each and every night. I've seen that take so many times that they have three lines that can take over a game. It's not true. And last night is very telling of that. You know, you're telling me that not one of those lines could really take out, uh, take over a game against the Buffalo Sabres that, you know, the, the standout line here was Raffle law, not Baku bell. Like, come on. Like, and, and it's okay. Like, they have very good players. And, you know, aside from James Van Riemsdyk, I don't think that there is one player I can single out and say, like, I don't like his game whatsoever. Like, you talked talk about Justin Braun. I'm his biggest defender and have been since he got here. But how can I possibly defend the guy who's playing on the top pair when he's been a number five defenseman his entire career? Eric Gustafson. Like, yeah, he was a tire fire last night, but... He's come as advertised to what you talked about. You know, I see people trashing like Robert Hag for icing the puck. Like even let's say an Abe Kubel, like, you know, these are all guys that they're just very interchangeable pieces. They don't have enough players that stand above the rest. And like, look again, like I don't want to pick on Claude Giroux, but you know, for me, aside from him being very strong defensively, which he always is like, how are the Flyers expected to be taken seriously when he is a non-factor offensively? Like, honestly, like, it's just too, like, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And I know people want to say that they're going to win by committee and this and that. But even time, even teams that, quote-unquote, win by committee, and I'll use the St. Louis Blues as the most recent example, like, they still have that one player who can take over the game. Like, Vladimir Tarasenko in that cup run during the playoffs, he was able to take over games. I think that Ryan O'Reilly played better than Sean Couturier ever has offensively. I just... The Flyers don't have that one player who can change the game. And that doesn't solely mean offensively. Like, I mean... Even a guy who could throw a big hit. You know, Mike Richards is a good example. Yep, like, yep. he wasn't exactly, like, God's gift to offense. Like, Claude Giroux is a better offensive player than Mike Richards was every day of the week. I think Richards' best season was 70 points. But Mike Richards could change a game with his physicality, with his character. Scott Hartnell could do that. Wayne Simmons could do that. This team doesn't have any varying elements. It's just the same player, good two-way guy. Like, even Nolan Patrick. Like, yes, I love that he came back. He stabilized that 3C role, which is more than I could have said if he wasn't there, and it was arguably my biggest concern entering this season. But even him, like, is he changing the game? Is he changing the trajectory of the team? No, and, like, it's the same thing with Morgan Frost. Like, He's not oh, a God. bad player. Uh, I'll just give my two cents on Morgan Frost quickly, and then I'll <laughs> throw it to you because I'm very anxious to hear your opinion on it. But Morgan Frost, it's like when he has the puck below the hash marks around the opposing net, like you can see he knows what to do. He knows where to put the puck. He has some good hands. Like he has very strong offensive awareness. But there was more than a few times where like 
he's below the he's below the goal line, and then the team the Sabers like peel the other way, and you see Travis Konechny trying to hustle back to cover for him. So th- this isn't the player that, at least in the me- the immediate future, is going to be the answer to that game changer that the team is lacking. And uh, I just I don't know how anyone could look at this team and say this is a Stanley Cup contender. It's just a mess. Uh, you 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 warned me we were going to drop a bomb on Lindblom here before we started, and I don't even necessarily disagree with you. I, I think. Obviously, it's great he came back, and we want to all see him succeed because of what he's overcome. But and they can point to last year when he had 11 goals in the first 30 games or something like that as the middle of a breakout year. And listen, if he never got sick, maybe he would have broken out. Maybe he would have taken the next step. But I just don't think that's the player that he is. I mean, he's realistically a third line left winger with a ceiling of maybe on the second line. You know, and. Yeah, you're stuck in that role because you have fucking James Ramsdyke hand on your roster for the rest of time at this point. But, you know, he's just, I, I just don't expect this guy to be a, a big game changer. And speaking of fucking game changers, Morgan Frost, Claude Giroux Jr., the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. Mel Gibson is just waiting to get his hands on him to make another Pastor of the Christ movie. But, like, I don't know. I, he came as advertised last night, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he's got some silky smooth hands. He seemed to know what he was doing when he was down around the crease. But other than that, like, that is not the part of the game I'm concerned about. His offense was never something I was concerned about. It's literally every other part of the game. Board battles. I mean, the guy's like 5'5". Five, five, you know? <laughs> he is not going to beat anybody out on any kind of board battle. You know, it's the board battles. It's the erratic play with the puck in the neutral zone. It's just these general choices. This shit that I saw... I had somebody say that it doesn't matter that I watched Morgan Frost live every night last year because Dan Silver was throwing out highlight reels. It was like, I'm gonna, I, oh, I don't argue with people on Twitter too much anymore. I got better things to do with my life, but I got quite a few things yesterday. I, I just got very heated at some people. They they would much rather see highlight reels of Morgan Frost when he was 19 years old dunking on 16 year old kids than they would admit that he's not very good at the AHL level last year. And I was there every night. I saw the things that nobody else saw because nobody else watches the fucking Phantoms play. They're not on TV outside of Service Electric around here. Like, I fucking guarantee you Dan Silver never watched a Phantoms game last season. You know? But I was there every night, but my opinion doesn't matter. When in reality, even fucking Charlie O'Connor backed it up this morning. Said, man, some people's concerns about Morgan Frost were warranted. Man, you know, he's not very good along the boards, and he's not this and that. It's like, hmm! If only Dan the Flyer fan's been saying that for a while. Hmm! I just don't get it. I, I don't expect much out of the kid. Uh, maybe in time, if he's given a legitimate chance, you know, they did put him uh, with, with Konechny and Lindblom, which is about as good as you're going to get outside of the uh, Drew Faraby duo there on the wings. But, you know, he's going to get a chance to succeed, but it's everything else that drives me nuts about Morgan Frost. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to make or break you at the professional level. You know, some of the players, you talked about Jake Furtanen in, in in Vancouver, you know, highly regarded prospect once upon a time, and now he's just kind of a dude. Curtis Lazar last night, we saw score two goals on the Flyers. You know, once upon a time, highly regarded dude, now he's just a guy. Scott Lawton, another captain. one of them. Like, yeah, captain of Team Canada. Captain of Team Canada, Scott Lawton. You know, it was like, 
goal-scoring phenom in juniors. He showed up to the NHL, had no goddamn idea what he was doing, spent two years in juniors, got his shit together, learned how to play defense, and now he comes up and he's the best fourth-liner in the league. <laughs> like, sometimes you just need to do that. The, the, the idea that this guy is going to come up and put up 100 points a season and walk away with six consecutive heart trophies is horseshit. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um... I don't know. His offense isn't even that good. I think he's got some silky smooth hands. He seems to have a very high IQ when it comes to that kind of stuff. But he's not Connor McDavid out there. You know, it's just his offense is not good enough to overcome the rest of his shortfalls. And and it's going to suck. And maybe in time, he's 21, he's got time before we can throw in the white towel officially. But in the short term, he's not saving anybody. You know, especially with the rest of this team being as bland and inconsistent as they are. Now, if he comes up and they had Patrick Laine on one of their wings, Patrick Laine, Giroux, and then Frost had on the two of them, maybe you got something there. You know, you set him up to succeed. But right now, it's just a matter of fact. Happened the first time he got called up last year. They put him on the top line out of the gate with Giroux and Connecting. By the time he got sent back down, he was on the third line with JVR and uh, who was down there? Faraby, Albi Kubel. You know, like, he's just a dude. I, I'm not going to get excited about Morgan Frost until I actually see something worth getting excited about. And to this point, either in the AHL or NHL, I have yet to fucking see it happen. Yeah, <sighs> and, and and the thing is, is that it, it, it's also a lot of these people, like, who act kind of like the authority on the Flyers. It's It's the same thing with Morgan Frost as it was with the overall outlook on the team. You know, if you didn't think the Flyers were overwhelming Stanley Cup contenders or Stanley Cup favorites, you're negative. If yes. you don't think Morgan Frost is the next coming of Braden Point, you're negative. When in reality, like, I don't think anyone's called him a bus. I don't think anyone said that he's not going to be a good player. He's going to be, I think, a solid second liner, 50 to 60 point guy, probably do his best work on the power play. I think that's where he realistically fits. Now, in saying that, I don't know how long it's going to take to him for him to get there through no fault of his own in a lot of ways because, you know, he lost 10 months of, you know, development because of COVID. But how long is it going to take for him to get there? And is that the type of player that is going to push this team over the edge? I, I don't think so because, again, I I think the Flyers need a guy who can score at will whenever like at any point in the game and I don't think he's that type of player which is okay he's still going to be a very good player in the NHL but I don't think he's going to get there quick enough to you know match up with this timeline and coincidentally do be that good enough player to push them over the edge and they also lack a physical element to their game and I don't think people are talking about that enough that even if let's say they were scoring at will you know, they were doing all, like, every player was playing to their potential every night. Let's say Giroux and Voracek were consistent factors in the offensive zone. I still think that there's something to be said that this team gets pushed around way too easily. And I think that you may have to see a time in the not-so-distant future where you sacrifice a bit of quote-unquote skill to add some grit and some toughness and some sandpaper, like, even a guy like Abe Kubel, like I love Abe Kubel. I love the way he plays. He's a great fourth line player, but I think that he's the kind of guy that kind of just adds to that redundancy that this team has. That you know he's he's physical, but not really like he's kind of almost passive aggressive. He has some offensive game, but not good enough to be a consistent mm -hmm. top nine NHL player. Like I mean, even like if you could like swap him for like a Lawson Kraus. 
I think that would go a long way in just adding a different dimension to your game. Even like, let's say, swapping an Oscar Lindblom. I'm not saying to trade Oscar Lindblom. Don't come at me. Don't fucking radio me. But even, let's say, replacing a guy like Oscar Lindblom with a, like a Tyler Bertuzzi. Like, that's what they're kind of missing. Here. Or even better yet, replacing a JVR with a Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. There you go. And you could slide Lindblom down to that third line and play Bertuzzi higher up in the lineup. Like, that's what they're kind of missing here. And if they had that sandpaper and they were able to play a different type of way, I would almost let the you know lack of a true goal scorer go because they do have the depth to score enough theoretically on most nights. But when they're not scoring, they can't play any other style. And it just becomes like this like make-believe track meet where like they come on the ice, they throw the puck in, they chase it a bit, they go off. Like there's no deferring elements to their game. Like I I remember back in the day when they would get blown out and then, you know, Aaron Asham, Dan Carcillo, Ian LaPerriere, Blair Betts, uh, Scott Hartnell, even Mike Richards, Braden Coburn, like those guys would start hitting people, get, giving the reason to be excited. Like remember when they got blown out of the water, like seven, nothing as the Washington Capitals and Ray Emery took Braden Holtby to school. Like that's even a type of element that they're missing. Like you want to get blown out of the water. So be it. It happens to every single team at one point or another, usually more than once during a season on home ice, but having a game like that, like a response when you can't get it going offensively, but you have to do it in another way. And in this particular instance, it was their backup goalie. You know, sometimes you need that. And I just don't think the flyers have a way to respond other than trying to forecheck and be offensive. They just don't have that guy. I mean, somebody on my uh, on the Brotherly Puck site wrote a piece about Wayne Simmons, I believe it was last week sometime, you know, about how desperately they miss him. And it's like, God, how, like they, should, they just need somebody like that. They don't even have, you know, a Jay Rosehill or an Adam Hall or something like that anymore. Like, you got nothing. You know, it's great that Rafa Lawton and Aubie Kubel are on your fourth line. And they were very good last night. Probably the most consistent line of the bunch. But, you know, they're not there. Aubie Kubel, you know, he threw a check. I believe he did get fined for punching Darlene in the face last night. But, you know, he scored the goal late. And then he went out there and just cross-checked Rasmus Darlene in the face. <laughs> it's like, that's not the retaliation. First of all, you should have hit uh, Aristolina, not Darlene. But, like, I don't know. You just, you need somebody. And it's, I know I'm his biggest cheerleader, but you got Sam Moran hanging around. You know, sacrifice Abigail Bell for a night and put in, you know, Sam Moran. Especially in a game like tonight, you know, back-to-back. Uh, -back. And I saw a lot of that last night, too. Well, they didn't reciprocate tonight, but they got a game tomorrow. They'll be fine. You know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. Maybe they'll come out strong tonight. By the time most of you listen to this, you know, the game will probably be over. So uh, you'll know better than I will. Here in uh, you know, two sixteen PM on Tuesday. But um, I don't know. They they just need they need some grit. They they need that next Wayne Simmons. And it's not on the roster, and they don't really have anybody in the system that's here or <laughs> here or in the distant future really. Um that's gonna handle that role. So I don't know what you do here, but you know, finding somebody at the trade deadline like a Lawson Krause or Bertuzzi or something like that, or giving Sam Ryan a chance, like, that has to happen sooner or later here, especially if this trend yeah. continues throughout the season. You know, that was the thing all night is, is it's uh, the Sabres were just dominating them. 
you know, from a, a physicality standpoint, just knocking him off the pucks and physical. I believe uh, Jake McCabe just pushed over JVR on one shift. <laughs> like, come on, somebody do something about this shit. You know, it's like this is—it's not even fair on a physical level um, from one team to another here, and this just drives me fucking crazy. It's just—it's such a big. This is a team that I think we talked up all offseason long. Or at least some people did. I mean, we had Jim on last night, and he's in the damage control immediately because he's playing Mister Positive. But, like, on paper, I think this team is fine. But when you get them out there and everybody's as vanilla and normal and bland as possible, it's just it, it just amounts to this middle-of-the-road team. You know, they're going to pick up some wins here and there. They have enough offensive, py- uh, enough offensive firepower where they can replicate those Penguins games. They can play like shit but still score five or six goals a game. Like, that's probably going to happen quite a few times this year. But then you're going to have nights like tonight where you're going to meet a team that's just more determined than you are. And they're going to lose, and they're going to lose traumatically, you know? Especially if Carter Hart isn't going to play completely, absolute lights out. You know, he's going to have his games where he seems human every now and again like he did last night. And then you're really screwed, you know? So, I don't know. It's not a... It's definitely concerning. I know we're three games in, and we got a long, short season left to go, and we got time, and all the excuses I heard last night, but it's definitely concerning that they're three games in and they don't seem to have any resemblance of a clue as to what the fuck is going on yet. Yeah, and it's it's also because we know how this type of play translates into the playoffs. Like, we saw them win big last season. We saw them win by committee last season. We saw them rely heavily on Carter Hart last season. And once it got to the playoffs, it just didn't work and I, I I don't know how you add anything of value, of like substantial value, while you're still paying JVR $7 million and Eric Gustafson $3 million. I, like I haven't really brushed up on the cap situation for them right now. But like realistically, what would they be able to get while being able to fit under the cap? And more so like... You have to be able to move some bodies like everyone pointed out in training camp. You know, there's just too many bodies for Frost to crack the lineup. So if you're saying that and <laughs> yeah. you can't last move... week, he wasn't good enough to beat out JVR for a roster spot. And all of a sudden he's filling Sean Couturier's shoes. It, it's just it's I don't know what they do to fix this. I, I don't I think that they're just missing too many pieces here. Uh, like. If the, you know, if the trade deadline comes and goes and they add, let's say, uh, Josh Manson, Tyler Bertuzzi and Lawson Krause in right. place of let's. <laughs> yeah, th- then then we're talking, you know, I still think that the the lack of offense of high end offense would be a bit of a concern. But if that happened, I'd be like, OK, I can see this team making a push for the cup because you address the biggest hole on your defense and you added different elements up front. But. Do you know what it's going to take to get those types of players? It's going to be a lot. And I don't like, you know, I spoke to a source yesterday about just possibly Morgan Frost being a trade chip. And he said he has zero value on the trade market. Probably. So that's honestly like my biggest thing right now is the situation they're in is. Does Chuck Fletcher have the the balls, essentially, either the trade deadline or this coming offseason season? to pull the trigger on a big move, you know, if they, 
if the trade deadline comes and goes and you bring Nate Thompson back, you know, or a player equivalent to that and call it a day, or, you know, another Eric Gustafson, you know, just another warm body to put on, on the roster if need be, like, you failed. You know, like you should have done something this offseason to make something happen. You should have never signed Eric Gusses and you should have traded Shane Gosses Bear and you should have had your name in the mix for Petrangelo or, or Brody or something along those lines, right? Like that's what should have happened. And and I'm that's Chuck Fletcher's next big thing here. Can he make a trade or a big free agent signing that's gonna be different? You know, is he gonna be able to to deal one of these high paid shitheads that are on these roster? and bring somebody in that's better for the team. You know, that's what I want to see. And quite frankly, that worries me. Because that was not exactly his M.O. with the with the Minnesota Wild. You know, that time there, they brought in a couple people every now and again. But for the most part, especially lately in the last few years there, they didn't do a whole lot of that. So I'm really... The ball is in Chuck Fletcher's court at this point to, to see if he you know has what it takes to address the needs of the team and make something happen because they're coming up on this you know as much as their cup window may just be open given the ages of everybody on this team like it's also only open for a limited time right now you know you got to make this count while you can especially if Giroud can't step up his game and act like something and if Couturier is out longer than you know his two to three week timeline here if he doesn't come back or if he well if he comes back and doesn't play like he should be playing uh, which is another big concern but like it's really up to Chuck Fletcher in these next few weeks of months. I believe the trade deadline is, what, April sometime this year. Uh, so, I don't know. That's my big thing, and that's what I want to see. If we if, the, if we sit here this time next year, and hopefully it's a normal year, and we're all you know back in the stands and whatnot, but uh, if we sit here this time next year and nothing changes and it's still the same group of guys and Seattle took Abi Kubel and JVR and Ghost and all these other assholes are still here, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do then. You know, it's so clear they need something. There's enough talent here where they can pick up a win every now and again. You know, you're going to see more of those Penguins games where the offense is just too good to bear. Because it can be good, but it's not good on a consistent basis. And you don't have that one guy that's going to be able to stand above the crowd and lead the way. Um, and that's just where we're at right now. You're, you're at a weird kind of crossroads here where it's time to, to put your best foot forward and make something happen here and actually make you know, advances for the team rather than just sit here and say, man, well, JVR is 32, but man, he may be able to find that 30 goal season that he's never had in Philadelphia. <laughs> like I'm tired of hearing it. Bring me somebody that's going to actually score 30 goals. Bring me somebody that's going to be physical. It's going to throw more than one check a night. You know, like they need it here. It's pretty obvious what they need. And, and I don't know. I just hope Fletcher, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't just build this mediocre team like he did in Minnesota. And it beg like with all that being said, and it's kind of like what we've talked about all season long of like which direction are you going here? Because the cup window is theoretically open, but it's not going to be open for all that long because of the ages of these players making big time money. So let's let's assume that you know we're on board that the Flyers go in the cup this year. This, then the other thing. I think the only players not on your roster or on your roster, but the only two players that you can't trade in terms of prospects are Frost and Forrester. After that, guys like, uh, not Frost and Forrester, sorry, York and Forrester. After that, you know, guys like Frost, guys like Zamula, guys like Bobby Brink, like these are the types of players that you have to be willing to entertain to go get the pieces necessary 
to win that Stanley Cup. Yeah. And more so, these are the types of players you're probably going to have to entertain moving to get rid of a JVR or get rid of a Shane Goss' beer. Like, and I know people aren't going to want to hear that, but you can't be half pregnant. If you're going to go for a cup, you have to be willing to move these players and get legitimate players in return. Because I, I don't know if you want to sit here and tell me that with the right tinkering of this roster, this team could compete for a cup. Yeah, I agree with you. They're not that far off. But in saying that, there are still, I would say, at least two substantial pieces away from being a serious threat. And that that's how I look at this. I don't know how anyone could look at this team and say that as is right now, they could win the cup. They're not like five players away. They're two, maybe three players away. But those two or three players are big pieces. You know, you, you need an impact forward who can step into your top six, not your top nine, but your top six and provide either like a league goal scoring ability or a hell of a power forward type of role like a Tyler Bertuzzi and he would cost a pretty penny but he's the type of guy that this offense is screaming for that is begging for they need a player like that and you need a top pairing defenseman not a you know I've been saying Jason Demers a lot but I'm starting to think that that wouldn't even cut it I'm starting to think that they need a better player than that like a near Alex Pietrangelo like you need that type of player Maybe not exactly Pietrangelo, but like a Josh Manson. Like the people are throwing that name around a lot, but like maybe that's the exact type of guy. It can't just be to your point, like another Eric Gustafson or Derek Grant or Nate Thompson. They need two impact players. If they get those two impact players, all bets are off because if they get that and you can rely on a strong defense and like, you know, a a score by committee type of approach and you have a bit of sandpaper as well, then okay, at least you can play a different style. Like last year, their defense was so strong that they were able to play that lock-it-down style. They don't have that defense this year. So they can't even play that defensive lock-it-down style like they won so many games with last year. Like last year, I thought that that defensive group as a whole was a top-five group in the NHL. Now without Matt Niskanen, who so many people just acted like nonchalantly about, you're seeing it. So, again, I'm not saying that they're not a cup contender or that they can't be a cup contender, but they're missing two big pieces away. And if you're going to get those two pieces, you're probably going to be parting with a few prospects that you've been led to believe are going to be saviors for the organization. The, the Matt Niskanen retirement, like, we talked about that all summer. We broke that news live on one of these shows that we were recording. Um, it, it's just... It was kind of like, all right, you know, he's retiring, but, you know, it not only did it not make sense to line up, because now you don't have anybody to play next to Provo, and all of a sudden you have to shift everything, but then they go out and get signed Eric Gossifson. You know, like, you needed something here, and I, I talked about Keith Yandel. I've written multiple articles, uh, multiple articles about him since this whole thing has happened, and uh, as much as I don't necessarily want Yandel the player... You know, as a trade for that, like, it opens up a bit of salary cap, no matter what you do here. And it brings you that kind of veteran presence in the blue line. And I know Flyers fans hate that word. And Yandel is probably closer to AMAC at this point than he is, you know, uh, uh, Matt Niskanen. But, like, the guy has 970 games under his belt. 
You know, he's got a 867 game Ironman streak. You know, like he knows what he's doing. He's been there and done that. And I think that's another thing. I think Matt Niskanen, the one thing he did better than anybody last year was just he was able to calm shit down back there. You know, he played heavy minutes. He played a lot, but he was able just to kind of keep the pace of the game where he wanted it. And they don't have that anymore. You know, they put a whole lot of eggs in the baskets of Travis Sanham and Phil Myers to, you know, make the jump and become, you know, the number two and number three unquestioned defenseman on the team. And so far to the gate, that's not happening. We're seeing Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim, you know, the playoff versions of those two versus the regular season versions. That's not good. You know, it's no secret I'm not Travis Sanheim's biggest fan, but, you know, I, I still think Phil Myers can be the guy hopefully sooner or later. Um, but, yeah, Niskanen retiring and not, and then Niskanen retiring and then choosing not to address it, uh, rather, is a big mistake, it looks like here. That one is one that may uh, come back to bite this team sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, we'll get a first-hand look at it to, tonight as they get a chance to at least uh, rectify that loss. We're going to put this episode up sometime this evening. The Flyers are going to beat the Sabres tonight in some dramatic fashion or whatnot. And tomorrow morning, people are going to listen to it and then at me all day on Twitter being like, but Daniel, they're good. They won the game again. <sighs> well, at least we get to review it tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon when we come back. So a busy week ahead for us. Yeah, this is the second of eight shows, I believe, I have this week. Good Lord. Back uh, tomorrow with Michael Smith. Covers the Hurricanes. Uh, we'll talk about them. Their game not happening tonight due to COVID protocols. And Thursday we got somebody from the Bruins. What the hell was his name? Faludo Shinzawa, who covers the Bruins for the Athletic. That uh, we got another angry negative post game on Thursday night. Got frequent flyer with Mike and Manny on Friday, and then Sisterly Pod. Uh, we'll probably record on Saturday, but they make up on Sunday just to space some of these shows out a little bit. Um, but yeah, so busy week here, Brotherly Pod, everybody. We are back in full force here. Uh, as and next, uh, next Tuesday, we have Eric Francis from Sportsnet who covers the Flames. So, all right, so. Do that at Dan the Flyer fan at Brotherly Puck at Heart Countdown underscore if you want to follow that the the backup to the Heart Countdown accounts. It's back in Twitter jail again for being mean to Devils fans. <sighs> it happens every couple of months, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what could you do? Yeah, I don't know. We'll be we'll be back sooner or later. But uh, uh, where can they find you on Twitter, Anthony? You can find me at Adamarka25. All right, everybody. Till tomorrow, goodbye and good night. Yeah! Yeah!